Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. So, indeed, if you haven't figured it out yet, which I'm sure you can't really avoid it, it's Pride Month, as we also remind people here because it's Catholic Radio. It's also the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which we haven't even dove into. I was sick part of last week, and so I didn't have the opportunity to discuss that yet, but we will. I'm reading this beautiful devotional on the Sacred Heart of Jesus that is about 150 years old that my husband found for me in an old bookstore. It's a beautiful, leather-bound, red beautiful little book. He spent way too much on it, but he knows his wife's heart and got me this beautiful antique book that I highly, highly appreciate. It's out of print. Anyways, I digress. Going through the devotion of the Sacred Heart, it's not something I've read a ton about. Other than last year, I finally took a deep dive during the month of the Sacred Heart into an encyclical that was written some time ago on the Sacred Heart, which we'll unpack a little bit later this month. Anyways, it's a teaser for more to discuss later, but as I mentioned, it is also Pride Month, and I want to talk a little later on about kind of a Pride Month roundup in respect of there's so much happening that we can't keep track of all of it, and we shouldn't, Uh, but why are they specifically Why is this movement specifically targeting children and what should we do about it? What should our response be? I think part of my concern is that I think many parents uh, are at the point where they're on the defense or trying to help combat the exposure their kids have had. I want to talk about being prepared on the front end to form, shape, and love our children in a very special way that will help in helping kids be resilient to pride messaging from wanting to promote pride months and pride ideologies, as well as from the danger of identifying as transgender. The younger generations, more than before, with no prior gender dysphoria, are claiming that they are transgender in rather high numbers and any other generation before them, specifically for Gen Z. So we want to talk about what we can do as adults to help kids, whether it's your kid, your niece, your nephew, maybe even a friend of yours who needs some of this in their own life. We'll talk about that in just a little bit here on Trending. We're in the middle of a series that we kicked off yesterday on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And these 12 fruits we're unpacking. Yesterday we talked about peace and joy. Today we're going to talk about charity with my guest, Devin Shat. Devin Shat is a from the founders. He's a founder of the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find them at fathersofstjoseph.org. We'll include a link 
on social media and in the podcast notes. We're going to talk about the fruit of charity today and also about the spirituality of the fathers of St. Joseph. They have four pillars that all of us can learn from, not just fathers, when it comes to embracing our state in life, our prayer life, and how we can grow in that. Devin Schatt, welcome back to Trending. I'm so excited that you can join me as we're unpacking these 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit and today unpacking specifically that fruit of charity. Thank you, Timory. Yeah, it's great to be on your show. I wanted to talk with you about charity today. It's interesting as we're starting this series on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned yesterday that it really seems as if there's only one day of the year that we kind of remember the Holy Spirit and celebrate the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. And then after that, we just move along. Yet this whole tradition, this breath of the church and the many virtues, the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit are completely lost. And so one of my hopes mm. is that by the end of this, we're really working toward moving in the mode of the Holy Spirit. And one of those virtues that we'll unpack now is charity. St. Thomas Aquinas, when talking about the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, Devin, uh, talks about how, first of all, the Holy Spirit himself is a gift. And he says the Holy Ghost is given in a special manner as in his own likeness, since he himself is love. And so what he's saying is that, yes, Yes, love, charity is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but actually that's who he is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's giving himself in the exact likeness of exactly what he is. And for a moment, Devin, I want your thoughts on that to just kind of rest on realizing that God is literally giving himself to us and giving his life to us. And that is a life of love in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas actually begins his section on charity in the Summa, I believe, by talking about how how love, charity, is actually friendship. And so the Holy Spirit's whole mission is to engage us in this real friendship with Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting because when Jesus is talking about charity, he says, this is my command. So it's very important. Jesus is giving us his command, not the mitzvah, the 613 uh, Jewish legal prescriptions, the mm-hmm. 10 commandments. He reduces into a single command. This is my command that you love one another as I love you. And he says right there in John 15, he says, if you are my friends, if you love me, then you are my friends. And if you are my friends, then you'll keep my commands. And these things I command you, that you love one another. So there's this kind of like this level of thinking and approach to Christ. He says, basically, to love as Christ loves, demand that we be friends with Christ. To be his friend demands that we keep his commands. To keep his commands, that means we have to love one another, even our enemies. So this is kind of like boom, 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 the steps. So the Holy Spirit, as you're talking about, that great gift, God himself, charity, infusing us with his person, that love, so that we can actually be friends with Christ, which at times is going to get us in trouble with the world. Mm. It, it's interesting as you talk mm. about that because the hatred is something that 
I think many people struggle with and maybe mm-hmm. don't realize it, it kind of rears its head in jealousy and envy. Uh, it can happen in small ways just with the fact that we're willing to viscerally react in various ways to people. And so this fruit of the Holy Spirit is a pretty big deal because it helps in combating uh, much of the angst that we tend to have with one another, even if we might not necessarily peg it as hatred or loathing per se. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And if you, I mean, if I was just to do a laundry list on, you know, kind of like my default sins, you know, whether it's envy or jealousy or whatever it is, generally at the bottom of it is because, first of all, I'm not really being a friend of Christ. And because I don't believe I have his friendship, I think a lot of us deep down were wounded. And therefore, we lack a real trust in Christ or in God the Father, where we believe that we have. God's friendship. And then when we don't, when we're not solid in that true friendship with Christ, then we begin to, we want to bring people down to our level. So envy, jealousy, greed, whatever it is, it's going to help us to level the playing field. And then those are indicators right there. I'm not operating by the Holy Spirit. I'm not being a friend of Christ. And so therefore I need to dig deep and find out why. What is it? And usually it's a lack of trust. And that trust is bound in filial or uh, servile fear, you know, a fear of punishment. Let's talk a little bit about something you discuss in one of your books that came out more recently, and that has to do with the idea of love incurring hatred. Mm, yeah, sure. I I just wrote a book for Lent last year called Jesus's Way: uh, The Forty Six Day Lenten Journey to Becoming Unconquerable in Christ. And the world, see, the world's version of virtue is embodied by getting along or avoiding moral judgments, you know, uh, proclaiming the gospel of niceness, right? So peace, kindness, love, these are all terms that the secular culture has hijacked. You know, they've disfigured it and, and reinterpreted these terms. And so what they, why they do that, in a sense, is so that the Christian person might become manageable, might even become ashamed of his moral convictions. And so, but the problem is, is to love Christ is to hate evil. And so where the modern secular cult is upset because we're holding fast to our convictions because it appears to be unkind and uncharitable, like, because a lot of times, even if we're not pronouncing a judgment on the culture, even if we're not acting in a condemnational way, Many people believe that just even if we are believing in Christ, that just that very presence is an imposition on others and it's an imposition on their beliefs. And so whenever we decide to love charity, that means we're going to be friends with Christ. And as St. Thomas tells us, friendship is having the same will as the other. And so if we're really friends with Christ, we're going to have the same will as Christ. And the same will of Christ is to keep his commands. Okay, and those commands are going to run contrary to the culture. And when we're keeping his commands, we stand out, we stick out like a sore thumb. And immediately, just by our, by our very presence, we incur a type of hatred or loathing upon ourselves. You think you're better, you know. You think you're you think you're more, you know, moral, you know, whatever it is. But the key here is that we are to every time we love, we're actually hating evil. And if we hate evil, we're going to love. And so that's where the division happens in our culture. And it's perfect for what you were talking about just a minute ago with Pride Month. 
So why can't we just all get along? You know, why can't we just get with the program and, you know, let everybody do their own thing? Well, because unfortunately there are real loves and they're disordered loves. And any kind of disordered love is a movement towards evil and towards hell. And we don't want people to go that way. So we need to be the voice and the presence of God's truth. And when we are the voice and presence of God's truth about loving in the right way, in a properly ordered way, the Trinitarian ordered way, we're going to incur the wrath or the hatred or the loathing of the world. Hmm. It's interesting as you're talking about this, Devin, because it reminds me, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timmy here on Relevant Radio, that's Devin Shout. We're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit of charity. We're in the middle of a series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And when you're talking about this misunderstanding circling around love and even in light of Pride Month, you know, a lot of people will say, well, love is love. <laughs> you know, you should be able to do whatever you want. And I think I've banged my head in the sand a few times. Mm-hmm. I was at the beach talking to friends from college who <laughs> I thought knew better and that yet we're still having these same conversations. But what you said really reminded me of how important it is to look at uh, the Greek terminology for the word love, especially when we're talking about this fruit of the Holy Spirit and how, you know, three of, because there are multiple types of love uh, that we read about in other languages such as Greek, but in English, we're really just kind of reduced to that one word love. We say we love our dog. I say I love this book. I say I love my mom. I say I love my husband. You know, all of these different people and things and ideas, but it's different. Yet in Greek, one of the breakdowns for love um, is eros, which would be a passionate type of love. One that if that's the only type of love that we have, it can actually become erotic. This is where the word erotic comes from. But passion, a passionate love in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But again, it can't be left on its own. Uh, There's the philia love. That is the brotherly love, a friendship type of love. And then the third that I want to focus in on today is a which is known as the love of God. And when we talk about a culture, Devin, that says love is love, and that is used to promote a you-do-you mentality, anything goes, you know, you're not hurting me if you look at pornography, you know, you're just enjoying that yourself, you're not hurting me if you engage in same-sex relationships. This is kind of what people say, like, if you're happy, do it. But the reality is, is that if we understand love in its truest sense, which the perfection of love would be agape, love being the love of God. Well, God is perfectly ordered. God created Mm -hmm. the human person and he loves us and created us with proper functions and a proper end that are only possible in him. And this is why this virtue, this fruit of the Holy Spirit of charity is so important because I think, Devin, it will help us break through these ideologies in the culture that many are falling prey to and that by the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, by the coming of the Holy Spirit in the baptism, these gifts are being given to us, but we're not allowing them to be fostered to help us as we kind of battle these ideologies today. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, the idea love is love. I mean, what are we really even saying there? I mean, are we saying that love is acceptance or love is peace, a false kind of peace? I mean, really, if we're saying what you're saying, we're saying love is agape. And agape, to love something, as St. Thomas Aquinas defines it, it, or to love, is to wish the good to it for its own sake, not for oneself. Mm. 
So if I love God, I'm wishing the good for God's sake, not for myself. If I'm loving a person, I'm wishing the good for their own sake. And the ultimate good, as St. Thomas also tells us, is beatitude. We want them in heaven. We don't want them in hell for all eternity. And so part of this is just getting to the bottom line of what is God's love? What does that really mean? And I mean, we could go a million different directions on that, but I think Mm -hmm. the Trinity really lays it out because the Trinity is really three attributes, distinction, unity, and fruitfulness. These are the marks of the Trinity. So you've got distinction, three persons, Father, Son, distinct persons, Holy Spirit, who live in the unity, unity of the Holy Spirit. And from that unity, that oneness, that one essence, there is life, love, bliss, rapture, creativity, you know, power, and it flows from it. So God says, let's make man in our image and likeness. So he doesn't make them homo, he makes them hetero, distinct, called the unity, complementarity. And from that complementarity, there is fruitfulness, life, both spiritual and physical. And that's how we image the Trinity. And so you can look at any kind of sexual disorder or proposal and say, does it have the three marks of the Trinity? Whether it's pornography, masturbation, adultery, infidelity, homosexuality, um, transgenderism, all these things, you, you can look at these and compare them and do they bear, do they have those three marks? And if they don't, it's not a properly ordered love. It's not the Trinitarian order. It's a disordered love. And so what we want to do is we want to even like, so lust, many people struggle with lust. That's disordered, mm-hmm. right? That's not saying you're disordered. It's just saying that it's a disorder. So we struggle with our disorders and we try to call upon the Holy Spirit in friendship to animate us so that we can be properly ordered in love. And there is nothing more freeing than to be properly ordered in love because then we can be fruitful. And, and we can be peaceful and happy. And I think that a lot of times telling people, oh, no, love is love and just do what you want is actually very frustrating because you're telling them to do something that actually can't bring them happiness. And I think that's at the heart of this. We will not be happy if we separate ourselves from the love of God. And by the grace of God, there goes I, because that is the great gift. St. Paul reminds us it is literally the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the Mm -hmm. fruit of charity. Devin Shat is here with us on Trending with Timory. We're going to be right back talking about the spirituality of the fathers of St. Joseph, four pillars that all of us can learn from. You don't have to to be a father to benefit from them. I'll also unpack what's happening with Pride Month specifically targeting children and how we should respond and be proactive before we are just being defensive. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. That's Devin Shat. We'll be right back here on Trending. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Yes, it is Pride Month in case, like myself, you have not been able to escape it. We're going to talk about why this month has specifically targeted children 
and how we should respond, what messages, what information should we be giving to children instead? And why are they so interested in Pride Month? Talk about that in just a moment because we need to no longer be defensive on this issue, but proactive in forming and shaping children before they want to promote Pride Month or struggling themselves with their identity in a culture that is pushing gender questions that is pushing uh, to question your own identity. We'll talk about that in a moment. Joining me now is Devin Schatt from the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find him at fathersofstjoseph.org. We posted that on social media as well as it'll be in the podcast notes for today's show. So be sure to subscribe, share this episode with a friend, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. You can catch us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We are there. I'd like to dive in today, Devin, to the Fathers of St. Joseph's spirituality. You have four pillars that you build on in shaping being a father of St. Joseph and really centering your life on prayer and understanding your state in life. And if you can, I'd like for you to unpack these for us today because I think all of us can learn from them, uh, but it kind of gives us a guiding um perspective in terms of how to handle not just one being a parent and a spouse, but also being someone with a f- who holds to a particular faith view of the Catholic faith as well. Yeah, absolutely. So St. Joseph is our model and our patron and our guide. And I believe personally that St. Joseph had a spirituality and, and a way of life, an order of life. And this became evident as I was meditating on his life when I was a lot younger, trying to find a pathway of my own. And I discovered, first of all, that the vocation, whatever vocation God has for you is your path. And that path is your path to glory. And if you are a husband and father, if you're a mother and wife, there is no other path. That's your path to glory, primarily. And there will be offshoots from that, but that's the path. And in that path, you know, for St. Joseph, he had four pillars that he built his life on. And the first one was embracing silence. And we see that he embraced silence in his life. And that was his first step, really. We can get into that in a minute. But that's by embracing silence, that's where he discovered his own identity and his own vocational call. And then he also, the second pillar was from that silence, he responded and embraced woman. He embraced the Blessed Virgin Mary. He took her into his own and took her as his wife. And there's a lot there too, but embracing woman was the second pillar. And then his third pillar from that vocation of marriage came forth his other part of his vocation, which was to be a father to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he embraced the child. That's the third pillar. He embraced the Lord Jesus as his own son, though he wasn't physically, biologically his. And then the fourth pillar was that St. Joseph assumed his charitable authority. And I, I mean, you've got Mary full of grace, you've got Jesus full of grace and truth, and here you've got Joseph, who's kind of the least perfect, let's just say it that way, in the Holy Family. And, and yet it's so beautiful because God depends on Joseph. It, it, in fact, after the Annunciation, All the messages, the directions, the commands from heaven given to the Holy Family are given to St. Joseph. And Mary, the sinless, the perfect one, the undefiled one, as the Song of Songs says, she, the pinnacle of our race, she lets Joseph be Joseph. She lets Joseph lead. She's so beautiful in this way. 
And that's true humility. And so you have this beautiful dance of sharing of authority um, between Mary and Joseph. And so those are the four pillars, embracing silence. And that's everything is founded on that, embracing woman, embracing the child and embracing charitable authority. I want to dive in a little bit more to silence. It's a theme that yeah. I love to discuss. It's one, Devin, that we struggle with as a culture. But mm-hmm. as you say, St. Joseph really exuded this, I could argue, a virtue in today's society. <laughs> and you said that in his silence, he found his identity and vocational yeah. call. How yeah. is that done today? And how can mm-hmm. we have that be a pillar, a starting point? Well, yeah, I think that's an awesome question. And I think we can go to Joseph to find out the answer. I mean, why did Joseph enter the silence? Well, he was in a perplexing situation. His wife, who's betrothed to the first stage of Jewish marriage, Mary was found pregnant without his cooperation. I mean, put yourself in those sandals. I mean, that's a crazy situation. And so what does he do? He doesn't act rashly. He doesn't judge Mary rashly. He goes into the silence. He embraces silence and he presents his grievance to God. And actually, the the word in the scripture that's used, it says, Joseph pondered on these things. So we don't have any of his words in prayer. It just says that he pondered on these things, obviously in the presence of God. And that Greek word for ponder is enthemeome, which is the root word thumos, which is for the Greeks, the masculine spirit, the warrior spirit. But there's a little, little, a deviation there in the sense that enthemeame is the masculine warrior spirit grieving. So St. Joseph is grieving because of this loss or this separation from Mary. He doesn't believe that there's room for him because something supernatural is happening, but he's unsure. So what's going on there? Joseph has a trial. He has a test and who doesn't? All of us. That's our starting place. Humanity has trials, tests, you know, you know, struggles, So God asks us in those moments to enter the silence and just be with him because he has the answer. And we don't know if it took Joseph two hours or God, two hours, two weeks, two months. We don't know how long it took God to respond, but Joseph waited. And that's the other part of silence. Joseph waited patiently, hupomene, patience to remain under. That's that's what patience means in the Greek, hupomene, mene to remain, hupo under. He remained under the test. He didn't flee. He didn't try to solve it himself. He waited on God. And then the words come crashing in. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful because Joseph is hearing two things. He's hearing his identity. Joseph, you are a son of David. You are underground king. You're a son of mine, basically. I've chosen you, anointed you, and therefore live out your vocational call to take Mary, your wife, into your home and be the husband you're called to be, be the father that I've anointed you to be, go at it. And so it's beautiful. I think that if that's the starting place for our culture, for each and every one of us, is that whether it's financial crises, whether we feel insecure or inept, we, we, we feel alone, whether we're having depression problems or whether our marriage is falling apart, we enter the silence before God in a spirit of filial trust and we wait on God and we wait. And God, what do you want me to do? And God will assure us of our identity in him as sons and daughters of God, but also our mission. He will guide us and counsel us and direct us in the way we should go. 
Mm. And I love how you broke down even the dimension of patience, how he waited, he remained under that. Um, We don't talk a lot about kind of the root of some of these words, but to understand where Joseph was, where his headspace was, and say, oh, wow, he was going through a lot. He wasn't just, you know, as some people might say, okay, I can't relate to him. He was the legal foster father of Jesus Christ, and his wife was the Virgin Mary, who he had no relations with. And that's kind of the argument people like to make sometimes. And I think that that's so far from the reality of uh, having any sense of empathy or awareness with where someone else might have been in their life. And so that silence is a starting point, Devin. It speaks so profoundly into where, as you say, we can discover our own identity and then respond to our calling once we understand what that calling is. And that's what leads us to be able to accept our states in life. Yeah, absolutely. And that silence for Joseph had three attributes, really, I believe. He was silent before God, so he spent time with God in silence, but he was also silent before men. And, And so this is very important. So he was silent before men, and what that means is he didn't look for the lauds and the praises and the accolades of mankind. In fact, he was an underground secret king. He didn't tell anyone. Uh, for, I mean, there's probably practical reasons he probably would have been killed by the Roman government at some point. But but the, the idea here is that he was so humble and discreet. And as Jesus says, you know, in Matthew 6, that we are the Father is hidden. God the Father is hidden. And he lives in secret. He moves in secret. He blesses in secret. And Joseph, being an image of God the Father, he was also hidden before men. And I think this is really big for our culture right now, because this is the problem with many of us, is that we have such an incessant desire to be approved by men. And I love what, you know, we had all these readings building up the Pentecost, but Peter and Paul, both before the Jews, especially Peter, he says, though Jesus Christ was rejected by men, he was approved by God. And, and, and so Jesus is our example. He was rejected by men. We don't have to be approved by men. We don't. Even, in fact, Jesus, it says in John 5, says that he did not receive his glory from men. In fact, he avoided that. He didn't want them to make him king. So what we have here is a purpose, in, a purposeful and intentional decision not to seek after the glory of men, not to yearn and long for human respect, which we all do, but to long to be approved by God. And the more we break free, from the longing for human respect, the more that we will be approved by God, and then God will begin to do great things in and through us to where the world is like, whoa, I want whatever that person has. I want what he or she has. What was that? So you said the three ways in which you saw St. Joseph was silent before God, before men, and then what was the third? Kind of tying yeah, that in? So, so right. Silence in himself. So he was silent in himself. In himself. He, Got it. Yes. Yep, in yes. Silent before men and then silent in God. And silence in God is simply just to stay in that space of sacrifice, to be hidden, mm-hmm. you know, like God is. Um, yeah. So those, and, and, and so we live in a kingdom of noise, don't we? Constant right. noise. And so the key, you know, I've just been reading um, an incredible book called The Fulfillment of the All Desire. And it takes the seven doctors of the yes. church. Yes. Oh, Very Ralph good Martin's book. amazing. Yes. But St. Francis of Sales, St. Teresa of Avila, all of them 
say that the first step, if you want to really allow God to work through you, is you got to cut out all the noise. You just, you got to quit worrying about what's going on in the world and keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the world. You need to seek God. And I love that because that's the song of songs. That's the the bride in the song of songs. She's like, she's seeking the beloved or the lover constantly. She's seeking him, not the world. And I'll just mention that book again. We're going to post a link to it on social media. It is such a good book, Fulfillment of All Desires by Ralph Martin. I 10 out of 10 recommend. And yeah. it's a book you could return to over and over again. It helps you dive deeper in your prayer life, understanding uh, Catholic spirituality, a, a time, Devin, where we're looking for Buddhism, Hinduism, <laughs> spiritual, not religious, all of these things, yoga, meditation, um, self-improvement to make our our lives better to make us a better version of ourselves that book drives us to the wisdom of those who walk before us and how to have that rich prayerful life and actually grow in that prayerful life to measure the growth that's when Devin Shat from the fathers of saint joseph you can find him at fathers of stjoseph.org we've included a link on social media as well as links in the podcast notes for today's show to some of his books that are highly recommended especially some of which we've dove into today thank you so much for being with us today Devin. If you are not aware, this month is Pride Month. It's been a little hard to ignore whether you're shopping and they're pressuring you to donate to a Pride cause, uh, whether you have children who are in grade school, whether you have your kid watching the Disney Channel. I mean, it is absolutely everywhere. And the sad and difficult thing about it is that the LGBTQ movement is truly targeting children. I want to give you a little bit of a rundown of what's happening and how kids, truly kids, are being bombarded by pride messages. I think the question is, why are these messages focused specifically on targeting children? Well, the reality is, is that the pride movement wants to grow and they want to make everyone queer, everyone identifies queer, everyone question their identity, everyone say love is love and gender and all of this is fun. And they're doing a great job with that. And we have seen recent stats citing that 20%, 20% of Gen Z identifies as some form of LGBTQ. This is unprecedented. It does not match any of the prior statistics when it comes to how men and women in generations prior to that, even the millennial generation, have identified. And so it begs one question, what do we do? We're going to get to that in just a little bit. What should we be teaching our children instead? But before we get there, I think it's important that we ponder um, how this message and why this message has been so effective. The LGBTQ movement, Pride Month, for lack of better words, and I really think this is appropriate, it glitters. You know, sometimes when you see a marketing ad or in marketing, someone will say, like, make this look sexy, make it look really appealing. And that could mean, yes, one that it has sex appeal, or it could just mean that this is a really good advertisement. Well, the LGBTQ movement and advertisements in general, they glitter. And my husband hates glitter. 
and so far he's a girl dad uh, and I loved glitter growing up especially dancing and performing it really pops when you're on stage with all the lights and everything it's fun I, I used to wear glitter eyeliner everything but the reality is is that why my husband hates it is because it gets absolutely everywhere and the reality is is that glitter is sticking to your kids but also glitter is fascinating it's interesting and the lgbtq movement is bright it's exciting it's seemingly to many people loving and fun and happy and accepting it's colorful and welcoming and it's everywhere I'm not saying that I agree with all of that, but from an outside perspective, in many ways, yes, this is what it is, and it's appealing to children. This is why they've used a lot of children's shows, a lot of children's symbols, symbols of God, such as the rainbow and the unicorn, to say you can be uniquely you and anything and everything and anyone you want. You do you. Look, it's fun. It's colorful. God made all the colors of the rainbow, and God made you, and you can identify as whatever you want. It's even in TV shows and movies. It's in toys and ads. The messaging is everywhere. And here's the reality. Like any good marketing messaging campaign, what's the goal? The goal is to impact the behavior of the beholder, to buy a project, to adopt an ideology. Pride Month and all that comes with it is one massive advertisement. And it should be no news to you and I that has been made blatantly clear the primary audience of late is children. Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all forms of social media, private chat rooms, you name it, kids are the target. They focused on this group of kids because they know that if they can get this generation, they will have this ideology locked in for a time to come. Now, we see this in school reading programs and curriculum. And let me just tell you, without getting too graphic, but just to tell you the truth, some of these coloring books and textbooks for children, hey, I come from the land of the fruits and the nuts. I come from California. I saw some of this curriculum. And it's not just California. It's across the nation. The books and things that are being allowed to use are so blatantly sexual. And I don't want to give you an image, but it is two people sitting on top of each other, intertwined with one another of the same sex, doing things that no child should be exposed to, whether we're talking about heterosexual or homosexual behavior. And that's the final point on that. And I think it's really important that we recognize that this is how bad some of this curriculum and content is. I go to the store to buy a book for my 17-month-old. And I go through every single book, reading it before, beginning to end before I give it to her. Why? Because let me tell you, if you've not gone to a children's bookstore recently, and I'm not just talking about during Pride Month, these newer books are peppered with LGBTQ stories and ideologies about two moms, two dads, literally photos of them kissing and doing other things at times, but at the very least going on and on about those so-called ideas that are not normal relationships that have the capacity to bring about and create new life. Sorry, the biology doesn't work that way. There's a reason why monkeypox is going around. I'm just saying. In fact, we might even talk about that a little bit later or another day. So here's the deal. Current president, President Biden, 
has identified your children, any child in a K through 12 school who that receives federal funding through a recent exact series of executive orders is now making it. And I thought this was possibly going to be a joke when I caught wind of this a few weeks ago, but it's true. Schools K through 12, kindergarten through 12th grade must allow boys to use girls' bathrooms in order to receive federal funding. Also, this includes competing in sports teams of the opposite sex. This includes that little boys can spend time in little girls' restrooms and intimate areas and intimate locker rooms and intimate safe spaces that are supposed to be dedicated to one biological sex because you've got what I've got and it's a little more comfortable, a little safer, especially on young minds and bodies that are still developing and are in particular self-conscious. I don't even like public restrooms. Why would I want a public restroom as a child that says, hey, anyone can spend time in here and hey, this is where you're also supposed to get dressed sometimes out in the open and... This is no safe space for you. The North Carolina preschool, and this is some really good news, and parents, I want you to listen. In the state of North Carolina, one preschool stopped using flashcards that featured a so-called, and just to be clear, this isn't possible, pregnant man after parents let up an outroar over these flashcards. That's what happens when parents speak up and don't stop speaking up. I'll say it again. That's what happens when parents speak up and don't stop speaking up and make difficult decisions when necessary. Sorry, it's not possible for a man to get pregnant. Doesn't work that way. Can't happen. It's a lie. It's not telling the truth. And whatever ideology you want to push, well, guess what? It's no longer happening in this preschool in North Carolina because parents put an end to it. Let's just mention for one moment the news that came out. Earlier this week, there was a drag show at a gay bar in the middle of the day for kids at a Dallas gay bar. It was advertised to bring kids, and the idea was you bring kids to this gay bar, and they're invited to come on stage and dance with the drag queens. They're actually encouraged and actually did tip the performers. There was an obscene, I saw photos of it, obscene light-up message sign behind the kids with innuendo that I won't even get into. Pride Month has targeted children. The pride movement has been targeting children. This was shown in the Disney tell-all where employees at Disney said they've been trying to insert queer everywhere in Disney Channel shows and movies. So this is the reality of what's happening. Your kids are being targeted. We're going to come back in just a moment talking about how to counter the LGBTQ pride message targeting children. Whether you have them or not, we can all contribute here and what children should be taught instead. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
been walking through what's happened so far this month during Pride Month and how at the end of the day, it's so focused on targeting children. The question I think that needs to be answered is how do you counter this messaging? How do you counter the LGBTQ pride message targeting children when it seems fun, bright, exciting, loving, happy, accepting, colorful, welcoming, and everything else? It glitters. And I will have to actually post a separate podcast link of it um, as well. But I answered the question a week or two ago when one person said, like, my nine-year-old, like, nine or ten-year-old wants to promote Pride Month. What do I do? Well, it seems interesting. It seems fun. I explained what to do. And the reality is, is that it's a reminder of what's happening right now. And that is, we no longer need to be on the defensive. And I think that that's part of the problem with the LGBTQ crisis and ideology we're facing. We instead need to not just be asking, how do we counter it? But what do we do to replace it? Why is it that perhaps some of these kids within our own families have grown susceptible to suddenly identifying as transgender or something else when it was a sudden onset and there were no signs before. I think we have to start first and foremost. Number one, cut the nonsense. If your kid or a kid you know is being exposed via school, a teacher, TV, books, activities, maybe even a friend, cut the nonsense. Cut it out. Protect your kid. Remember, kids are young and incredibly impressionable, and they need to be protected. Second, we have to get off the defensive and be proactive before there is a bigger problem. And so here are some of the things that we need to do with being proactive rather than defensive. And it actually has really nothing to do with talking about anything LGBTQ. It starts with, number one, affirming children affirming them, making sure that they are heard, that they are seen and confirmed in who they are as individuals. Much of the psychological references and research over the last 15, 20 years really points to something in particular, especially about the millennial generation down. And that is is that this is a generation, particularly millennials, we see this even before then, that has very much so lacked affirmation. It's looking for approval. And so in the wrong respect, it's looking for approval of anything and everything that they do. But in the right respect, they want to be approved for who and what they are. So affirmation is so important. That brings me to my second point. That is affirmation. So one's first, first point is affirmation that a person is heard, seen, and confirmed in who they are. But second, affirmation as male or as female, whatever the biological sex is. And that starts really young with helping kids to understand your body is just the way it was made to be. If you have a little boy and little boys experiencing things that happen to little boy bodies that are a little surprising and sometimes at really young ages, well, hey, you're just like your dad. That's totally normal. These are things that happen to boys as they start growing up, as their bodies start developing. Things start happening. You don't really get it. But you're you're doing great. You're just like your dad. This is what every man goes through. Same thing with girls. 
Your body's just like your mom. You're, you're, you're doing, you're going through things just that your mom went through. These things of affirming boys and girls in their maleness and in their femaleness. It's extremely helpful, especially when there's a lot of discomfort. And I think also a culture where we don't talk enough about uh, things as they develop in our bodies and change and hormones and all of that. It's topics that are very uncomfortable for many people, but you have to get comfortable. And it starts with a simple idea of at a very young age, helping your kid to feel comfortable and understand, just like mom, just like dad. Ever it might be. And a couple weeks ago, we'll include a link in the show notes, um, in the podcast notes, as well as on social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I I did an episode with licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro, and we talked about helping your kids to embrace their biological sex. Very important conversation. Again, we'll include a link to that because that's part of this and helping to build up all of us, but especially children today in the midst of a culture that is incredibly confusing when it comes to gender and and attraction. A third thing is that we need to understand, help kids understand that they're made for a reason, that they're made the way they were created for a reason, that they have within that understanding value, purpose, integrity, that they're created in God's image and likeness. And what that means is that they have both intellect and free will. And if you have intellect and free will, that means that you can love because you can come to know something through intellect and freely choose it. God didn't make us robots. He could have created you and I to be slaves, essentially, perfectly obeying every single thing he wanted, make it a heck of a lot easier, but he didn't. He requires our cooperation through his free gift and our cooperation. The grace of God functions wonderfully, marvelously within us. And so helping in that third point that kids understand that they're made for a reason. This is essentially the heart of what a chastity talk is. Emphasizing value, purpose, integrity, being made in God's image and likeness. That desire is a good thing when acted on at the right time. And within this same context, as age appropriate, talking about how when you understand your value, when you understand that desire, sexuality, all of these things are good, you understand And this is something I especially talk to young people about when I give chastity presentations to kids, that when you're living a life that doesn't value yourself, that doesn't have purpose, integrity, that isn't centered on understanding what love is and seeking it out, is just chasing your own desires and answering the beckoning call of the desires of others, you live in a state of fear. Fear of sexually transmitted diseases, fear of pregnancy, fear of heartache and breakup versus walking that straight and narrow path. You know, there's all this news right now about monkeypox, which, by the way, just to be clear, I've had to remind a few people recently, that's only something really that people who are in same-sex relationships, in particular men with men, um, experience. And you don't have to worry about that when you're in a heterosexual relationship with one person, and that's the person you marry. That fear dissipates, that fear of unplanned pregnancy, all of it. And that is an anxiety-free life that everyone needs, especially young girls today. We need to remind, number four, young people of the gift and goods of sexual intimacy. 
the complementarity of the body, how they're made for one another, the hormones and chemicals that are gifts from God to function, all of this in an age-appropriate conversation. Understanding that chastity, as a catechism the Catholic Church talks about, is faithfulness to your vocation. All of this means, number five, that we're understanding that to be human is to be a sexually integrated human being. Understanding that sexuality is a part of who we are, but isn't all of who we are. We're created for love. And so these are things that we need to understand and help build up in the society to counter the radical LGBTQ ideologies that are ravaging children today. And we don't have to be defensive if we take this approach. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Have you joined us for a weekly Gentleman's Hour on Wednesday? Joining me this week will be two special guests, one of whom will dive into the topic of what's happening with the odd response surrounding the Uvalde shooting that took the lives of many children. We'll take other questions relating to manliness Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.